0: To episode forty-nine of my podcast, I stand strong. I am, as always, Teddy coming coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Midwest. Um, so yeah, I wrapped up my uh, last episode. I wrapped up my three-parter talking about the Mass Effect games. Um, a couple conversations with Tony. He was bringing up like he he asked me, you know, he's he told me how shocked I he was. I didn't talk about in two. There's a good chunk of like different characters you can have a relationship with and the different ways they play out. And, um, yeah, I just, I just felt like that was, you know, it was a cool aspect, but it kind of just like, you know, it was, it was what it was. It just didn't feel like it was necessary to talk about, it, even though there, there is in, in two, there is quite a few different characters you could end up with a relationship with, but, Anywho, that was last week, or two weeks ago, last episode. Um, This episode, um, since we are now in October, I decided um, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite movies to watch around the spooky season. Um, So yeah, I I wrote down some of my favorite ones. Um, Some obvious, some hopefully new to anybody who's who's listening, um, but I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've made it very clear on here. I'm a huge horror fan, but, you know, and I watch, you know, to me, every 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 month is or every, well, the whole year is spooky season to be. I'll watch horror movies all year round. But there are definitely a couple that it seems like I have to watch around October, whether I've um, watched them recently or not. So, uh, so yeah, we will, uh, we'll dig into this one. Like I said, I've got some that, uh, that as far as I know, aren't really as well known as some of the others. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dig into this. So, you know, I'm just going to start with the, the obvious one. Um, John Carpenter's Halloween 1978, you know, It's named after the holiday. But on top of that, it's also just a really good, suspenseful slasher movie before, you know, before really slashers were big. You know, but Michael Myers is iconic, even though he's got more duds than, you know, successes in his movie franchise. But yeah, no, 1978's Halloween. You know, I go to it. Every year around Halloween, if not on Halloween itself, because it's dude, it's just, you know, one, it takes place on the holiday and two, it is just an almost perfect movie. You know, the soundtrack, the, the tension it builds. I mean, it's it's always interesting with this one to like, you know, especially like to see interviews with John Carpenter talking about how he was never not really interested in making a horror movie, but it was what he could make on the budget. So he, he put together this movie and, um, you know, it's debated on whether it was originally called the babysitter murders or babysitter killings or something like that. Um, depending on who you talk to and on what day it was, or it wasn't originally called that, but yeah, Halloween, I mean, you know, that and, you know, it's iconic for truly creating, um, to me, at least, creating the final, go- final girl stereotype. I mean, there's a reason Scream, you know, calls it back so often in the original one as far as being like, you know, the basis of all the rules, you know. Even though, if I remember right, Jamie Lee Curtis does smoke a little pot in that movie and she still survives. So, kind of, you know, at that point in time, I guess maybe the don't do drugs wasn't as, as firmly a rule, but, um, yeah. you know, then, you know, you know, the opening is iconic, you know, you, you see everything from the killer's perspective, which it wasn't the first time it did that. Um, but I mean, you did have like, you know, peeping Tom, which I've never seen, but I've heard a lot about. So I'll probably will at some point in time track it down to watch it. And, I think aspects of psycho put it in the killer's perspective at times but this was the first one that really like to me made it you know front and center um you you get the the scene of you know somebody's watching the girl and her boyfriend in the house from outside and then they go upstairs and the killer comes in and grabs a mask and grabs a knife and proceeds to brutally murder the girl just to go down the stairs and the second they come you know it's like you come out the front door it switches perspective into a third person and you see it's this little kid and then you flash forward in the you know forward and you find out you know little snippets of like you know that this kid grew up in a mental institute and Dr. Loomis was his primary you know kind of like primary doctor but he he always knew this kid was evil from the beginning and like that's all you really get you don't you know you don't really ever get you know, uh, emotive. It's just, this kid is evil. And I kind of like that about it. Like, you know, that, that, and the, you know, the repurposed William Shatner mask, man, that, like that is a creepy ass mask, completely emotionless, just haunting. Um, but like I said, I, I had to put it on this one. I mean, it's, it is the, the, it's, it's a quintessential Halloween movie. Um, so yeah, so I got that one out of the way just because, like, it has to be on there. So might as well go with that one. Um, so now I will go to some, you know, like, I'll I'll go to one of my more obscure ones, which people may have seen. I don't know, like, I don't see, you know, I don't hear a lot of people talk about these ones, so that's kind of why I want to put them up there, but they are ones I like to watch around Halloween, so... And so the next one I will go with, uh, the 2018 movie Hellfest, um, which I actually just saw like maybe two years ago. Uh, cause a buddy I worked with was telling me about it and we had, uh, we had been hanging out and he's like, Oh, you got to watch this movie. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And it, it looks like, I remember seeing the the cover of it, like a million or the, you know, the, the icon of it on Netflix, like a million and a half times. and thinking, God, it just looks so schlocky. It can't be a good movie, but we watched that movie and I, that night. And I really actually kind of fell in love with it. I mean, it doesn't do anything to, you know, to reinvent the genre of the slasher or anything, but it follows, um, I cannot remember the name of the main character, but it follows a girl and her friends when they go to a traveling, like haunted, like essentially like fair that's all based around being haunted, like a series of haunted houses and scary actors everywhere. But they go there and it's called Hellfest. And while they're there, this other patron who is basically a serial killer is there. And he decides to target this girl and her friends. And for, you know, what, 80, 90 minute movie, it, you know, it's just this guy following her and kind of like haunting her. But I mean, you you get like really basic setups for like who the characters are. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a fun, straightforward slasher to me set in a different setting though. I mean, at least it's in a different setting. It's in this, like I said, it's in this traveling, like essentially horror carnival with a, a small cameo appearance by uh, Tony Todd about the midway to maybe three quarters point. He plays like just like kind of a a personality at Hellfest. Um, but yeah, and then his, well, his voice plays throughout the throughout the the movie as far as like, he's like unannounced like this announcer coming over a loudspeaker and it's his voice. But yeah, it's just a, like I said, straightforward slasher set in a, a haunted house location, essentially, or a, a you know, yeah, haunted, lo- haunt location. But, and, you know, for being a movie that, you know, it does have points where I think it does show that it's probably pretty indie, but for the most part, it, it doesn't stray away from anything. I mean, it's... They, they made the most of their budget, apparently. Um, no no real-name actors other than Tony Todd in that movie, though. Like, I think I looked at the cast the last time I watched it, and I'm like, I don't recognize any of these people from anything they've been in. But all of them do a pretty good job at the movie. I mean, it's got some really cool kills. Um, so, yeah, it's straightforward slasher, real fun. Um... So yeah, Hellfest 2018. Oh, that, by the way, uh, that is directed by, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, Gregory Pl- Plotlin, I think is, unless I mistyped that. Um, but yeah, it's, like I said, it's a fun watch. Uh, I don't think it's streaming anywhere now except for Tubi last time I looked. But even then, I think it said it was about to leave. So unfortunately, it might be harder to watch at the moment. But it's it's definitely worth a watch if you can find someplace that, that has it. Um, I also don't think it's too expensive to buy it if you're interested in it enough. Um so yeah, um, next one I'm gonna go with one that's that's known, but kind of still went under the radar for for the most part, um because the uh studio that helped produce it was a little squeamish on some of the the violence in the movie. Um, and that is trick or treat from two thousand seven, and it's not trick or treat; it's trick r treat. Um, and this one's different because it's a anthology film. Um, once again, it's a movie that takes place on Halloween, but it's I think it tells three full stories with some like smaller stories kind of interwe interwoven within them. Um. Pretty decent cast behind it, but it tells the story of, like, basically this small town and, you know, makes several references right off the bat to, uh, you know, respecting the the rules of Halloween or whatever. And that sets up the kind of, like, one thing that ties all the stories together, this little burlap sack mask-wearing kid named Sam... Who you do get a reveal of what he looks like under the burlap sack at the end, but I won't won't spoil that. But you know, and he is like essentially the spirit that enforces the the rules of Halloween in a way. So like you you get a pretty good like the opening like mini kind of uh, set piece is you have a guy in his you know guy in his I don't know if these it's his wife or his girlfriend, but they're coming home. It's like at the end of Halloween and he's obviously drunk. She's probably had a few to drink too, but they're walking home and she's about to blow out a jack-o'-lantern. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You know, it's like, it's bad luck to blow them out before midnight or whatever. But she's like, you know, she chastised him for being too superstitious and then blows out the, you know, blows out the, the jack o' lantern, and he goes inside because she tells him to go put on a movie, a porn movie to be exact, like and saying you know like hey I'm just gonna take down these decorations and then we're you know let's have some fun and so he goes in he ends up passing out on the the couch because or the bed actually because he's drunk as she's taking down these Halloween direct decorations you don't see what it you know like what's going on, but you hear some stuff and then. He wakes up later and comes outside and there's like a ghost in the middle of the, like a, well, a make believe ghost in the middle of the yard, like up on a post. And he takes the sheet off this ghost and there she is with this like sucker, like viciously jammed into her mouth, like very violently. I mean, this, this movie does not pull away from the violence. Um, and that's, like I said, I think that's kind of what got it, uh, like it i don't think it ever got an actual theater release because it does depict some violence against kids at one point and that i think made the uh, the studio a little uh apprehensive so it, like you know i saw this when it came out on video um and loved it um but yeah, you have uh, Anna Paquin's in one of the, the segments of it. Brian Cox is in a couple different ones. And there are ver- there are various other actors and actresses that I'm like, I know that person, but I just can't think of their name. Um, but yeah, I think the best segment in the movie, though, is the one that follows this. It's a group of kids and they're... Uh, they're trying to, to befriend this. They never quite say like what she is, but it's like it's very hinted. she's like Asperger's, or she's on the the spectrum somewhere. and she's really good at carving pumpkins. so like her her uh front yard is covered in pumpkins that are like elaborately carved. And they befriend her and try to like they take her they decide they're gonna go to the site of this tragedy, and I think it's like the fifties where this bus driver lost control of the bus and went over the edge with a bunch of special needs kids in the bus. Um, And so they go to this, you know, like the, like the quarry or wherever it happened. And what unfolds is like amazingly awesome. It is just, it is like great horror. You get, you get like, I think the only, no, there's a little bit more supernatural in there, I guess, but it's a truly supernatural one in the long run but it's it's a great movie um, once again directed by from 2007 and it's directed by Michael Dougherty um, and I know this was because I have it on the because I have the blu-ray it talks about like this the idea for this movie actually started with like a I think it was like an animated short he did called All Hallows Eve or something like that Um and that was where Sam was created. But, oh man, this, this one is fun. But it, it it is not for the squeamish. Um, and there's a scene in the beginning with a kid getting sick that is like... It is some of the... Like, sound-wise, it is some of the grossest things you will ever hear. Um, so, yeah. Trick or Treat from 2007. Once again, another great horror movie set on Halloween, so of course it's great to watch around Halloween. Um Okay, this one's not necessarily horror, even though it has horror in the title, but it's just a great staple of Halloween, because I remember watching it every Halloween. It would be on MTV back when MTV was actually good, like around midnight on Halloween, and that's Rocky Horror Picture Show um, from 1975. Directed by Jim Sherman, um, which I could, like, I've watched that movie so many times, I could never tell you who directed that. I've never even heard the guy's name before, but this is just a great musical. Um, you know, really well acted by Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, and Barry Bostwick as Brad, and a very young, very hot Susan Sarandon as Janet. As well as Meatloaf with a cameo appearance. I think there's some other famous people in like smaller roles in it. But yeah, this is just a a schlocky fun movie with great music to it. Um, it's Brad and Janet are just engaged, and I think they're on their way to see like a college professor that introduced them and they wanna, you know, give him the news, and their car breaks down outside this creepy mansion on a um, on a rainy night so they go there just to use the phone and puts themselves right in the middle of this incredibly insane weird party that's going on hosted by Tim Curry as Dr. Frank Converter and from there it just goes crazy I mean it's like, to describe this movie is, is hard um, it's just a fun musical catchy music with a batshit story and you know i'm comfortable to say tim curry looked good in lingerie it's weird but it, it's a thing um and you you can tell he enjoyed playing the part like he is just chewing the scenery as dr frankenfurter um so yeah i mean that that's that's a quick one because i mean like, like really like there's like i won't even try to explain the story in full because I couldn't even tell you 100 what this story is because I mean I know at one point in time it it becomes like you know like Tim Curry sings a song about being a sweet transvestite from trans transsexual Transylvania but then that takes on a whole new meaning at the end because it's like Transylvania is a planet because they're aliens and they call themselves transvestites I don't know it's like I said. The story means nothing to the great, just the, the experience of this movie. Um, and like I said, you know, seeing, seeing that young Susan Sarandon, oh man. Um, so yeah. And, and from many interviews I've heard, like all, everybody had a good time on that set. So, um, I know it was based on a, I think it was written as a musical first and then it became a movie much later. But you also can't deny, like, the following it has. The fact that, like, there are theaters that will once a month, sometimes a little longer than that, do live showings of, you know, they'll show the movie, but there will be people acting the movie out in front of the movie on stage and whatnot. I mean, this this movie is iconic, if undescribable to some extent. Um... Okay, let's go, let's go to another more obscure one that like actually I just stumbled back across uh, the other night that made me really want to put it on here, um, and it is Hell House LLC from 2015, directed by Stephen Cognetti. Um, this is a found footage movie, which I'm very hit or miss on found footage. Like, although there is another found foot, I will, won't lie. There is another found footage on this list if I get around to talking about it. Um, but this one follows a group of uh, like four friends that every year they do like a major haunted attraction. But usually they do it in this. Uh, I think they usually do it in like, I think they say in like New York proper somewhere. But something happened and they can't afford to do it there. They can't rent the space this year. So they, the, like the main guy found this place, uh, called the Abaddon, Abaddon hotel, I believe is what it's called. Um, that's in an out, like a smaller town around New York or something. And they decide they're going to rent this and they're going to set up their haunted attraction there and, you know, just have, you know, get to do so they can do their attraction for the year. Um, but what they aren't kind of for is there's something going on with this hotel. So it like it it starts as you know, like I said, four friends setting this thing up, but they get there and the, I mean, the, the place doesn't look like it needs much remodeling to be a, a haunted attraction because it's this abandoned it's an abandoned hotel that's just, you know, it's run down. There's a lot of stuff that's already creepy about it but also because they can't you know they're they're renting this place they can't afford to stay anywhere else cuz they don't really have the money to that so they have to stay at this hotel while they're setting it up. So throughout the movie it's like them setting up the attraction um well and then weird things start happening here and there like strange noises or props start to move at points. Um but it it also is really well bookmarked by um like the setup for it, like why you're seeing this footage is there's a news reporter who wants to do a story about what happened at the Abaddon Hotel you know at, at this, this haunted house at the Abaddon Hotel and so she like, it starts with like, like her interviewing these these people like, you know, asking them like hey, you know, what do you think happened there and then you get like little snippets of like people who were at the attraction that night like you get like a camera phone video that got you know put on, leaked onto youtube but then was quickly shut down but people already saw it and shared it so it's like it's you can't get ri- you know they couldn't get rid of it but like obviously there's a kind of like a cover up somebody doesn't want something to be seen um so all you know is this tragedy happened there and all the authorities will say is like it was some kind of like maintenance issue or you know, like a gas leak or something like that, that caused this, this, you know, tragedy. But as the, the, you know, the reporters doing this interview, she finally gets contacted by one of the members of this, this foursome and nobody's seen her since that night. So no, everybody thought figured, you know, oh, she died too. Cause like all of them died, supposedly died in this thing. So she gets a hold of this girl and brings her in, and she's doing interviews with her. And she asks her, like, hey, could you just walk us through what happened that night? she's like, I can do you one better. I can show you. We have it all videotaped. We videotaped our entire thing as we were setting this up. So then you start, like, you know, you see a guy off camera, like, take the bag, and he goes off to, like, view the tapes. And from there, you start seeing the, like this process as they're going through like setting this thing up and the weird stuff that happens all the way up until the night. Now this is very indie. So, um, like there's a little bit of special effects at the end that aren't great, but I can look past them because they show them like so quickly and so briefly that really it does like, you can see it for a moment. I imagine if you freeze frame, and you pause it at that moment, you could see pretty well what's going on. But they kind of keep it pretty well like in shadow, so to speak, what exactly happened that night. And it all leads to a great ending. And there are two sequels to this movie. I will say the second one was okay. It's decent for something that kind of builds the lore as to... What happened with their money that they had to do this, Ab- like they do it at the Abaddon Hotel, because you find out there was kind of like something going on in the background there as to why they couldn't do it in their normal spot. But the third one, I ta- I will say, unless you just want to bat shits insane movie, don't watch the third one. I can't remember. I want to say the second one, which is called the Abaddon, like it was called Hell Hell, Hell Out Hell House LLC 2. The Abaddon Hotel or something like that. But the third one was called like Hell House LLC 3. The Lake of Fire. And it just goes off the rails hard. Um, I didn't care for it. But I imagine it would be a fun watch just for the, the sheer batshit insane of it. But I suggest only watching the first one though. I think it's a great story. front to back it didn't need anything it didn't need the lore build it didn't hurt that it had the lore build in the second one but yeah um so yeah where do we go next i mean i got so many good choices here um okay i'm gonna go with another classic that a lot of people know and it's just a fun movie to watch around halloween for me and that is 1980. No, not 1984. 1981's Evil Dead by Sam Raimi. Um, Another great movie, you know, contained in a cabin because he made it on a shoestring budget. You know, literally went out and Sam Raimi literally went out and like begged for money from people to make this movie. And they made it in like a, a cabin in Tennessee, I believe it was, that was like way too hot and they were all covered in fake blood and whatnot, and it's just—it's just a great movie. I mean, they did their own special effects for the most part. Um, well, actually, I think they did find somebody who, who knew how to do special effects, but he wasn't like you know makeup effects, but he wasn't like known this map movie. It kind of put him on the map. I didn't re- I really didn't dig into that. I couldn't remember. I know I know it is a name that I'd heard before it did the special effects. But yeah, it's just a just a great straightforward kind of, you know, movie that invented in my eyes the the cabin in the woods horror movie, you know. Um five friends uh go out to a cabin. They rent a cabin out in the woods. I can't remember where they say they're supposed to be, but you know, out in the ca- they go out to this cabin and while they're there, like the, a trap door opens in the floor. And so, of course, instead of being smart and just closing and locking that shit off, they go down into the basement and they find a book made out of human flesh. It's the infamous Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the Book of the Dead. Um, and instead of just leaving it there, no, they read from the book thus releasing the Candarian demons which you never actually see which is part of like to me like you never see a Candarian demon itself you only see if it's possessing someone and i think that's kind of genius because like it you know sam raimi created a lot of uh a lot of camera movements for himself in this movie um but you know yeah you get some like great sequences like where the 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 demon is in the woods, like coming towards the house. And it's just like these shots of it, like tearing through trees and whatnot. Um, yeah, great, great movie. You know, like I said, it's, it's just, you know, pretty, pretty basic story. They go out to the woods, read from the book of the dead, demon comes, breaks loose, starts possessing them one by one. Except for, like, it's not just, like, the one, like, by one person being possessed, if they scratch or injure somebody else, they can then, like, spread this demon disease, so to speak, to another person, then you got more demon, And then it, and in this movie, the other thing that's really kind of crazy, I mean, like, I didn't get to witness this, like, when it was out, like, I always only heard about it before I saw the movie. Was the fact that, like, really the main character by played by Bruce Campbell, Ash, doesn't seem like the main character when the movie starts. It really seems like it's going to be this other, you know, male character that's in the, you know, that's with them. But then at some point in time, it's just pretty, like, it just switches and you realize, oh no, this kind of, like, mousy, you know, goody two-shoes character is going to be the main character of this movie. And he... He's fighting off these, you know, possessed versions of his own, you know, friends and in one case family because his sister is is there with them. And it's like I said, it's it's a fun movie, you know, especially when you know the backstory and like how how minimal the budget was, like how a lot of their stuff they had to do was very DIY um getting to see how they pulled off some of the camera movements because they couldn't afford expensive cameras you know all that stuff just as but this movie is great and you know and the first time i watched it it was legitimately scary now it you know there's there's points that don't hold up great like as far as like you know like it's it seems pretty hokey now but it's still such a fun watch um and since I'm talking about this one, I'll go ahead and throw it in as a side mention. You know, you can't go wrong with watching the 2013 Re- Evil Dead remake, or especially since I haven't talked about it on here the brand new Evil Dead Rise. Watch that movie. That is an awesome movie that feels like it. Ha- it keeps kind of the spirit of what Sam Raimi was doing. Well, both both the remake and the and Rise kind of feel like they they take what the spirit of what Sam Raimi was doing, but man, they take it to a different level. Um, especially with Rise, because it, it completely it completely throws the Cabin in the Woods aspect out of it. Um, and it actually also puts a really interesting story at the center of it as well. Um, so yeah, Evil Dead, you know, it's a classic for a reason. But I like to watch it around Halloween, just because it is one of those movies that, like, for some reason, it just it just feels like it oozes the Halloween spirit. Um. Okay, uh, let's go with. Yeah, we'll go with another one. I'm like, I'll, I'll speak quickly on this one because I've already. I feel like I I bang this drum a lot. I'm gonna go with the the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Directed by Wes Craven, you know, I'm I will never stop banging the drum that to me, Nightmare on Elm Street is it will always be one of my like top five, um, best horror movies. I don't think it's is it the best like cinematically done movie? No, but it is. It will always be one of my favorites because it was one of the first that legitimately scared me. Um, that and Poltergeist both get like just. I was too way too young to see those movies and I saw them and it scared me. And so they will always have that like that kind of nostalgia feel. So Nightmare on Elm Street just Yeah. It hits all the it ticks all the boxes. Um Okay, let's see, where do I Aha Um Okay with this one I could I could be in some some interesting Positions with some horror fans on this one. But I'm going to go with a Friday the 13th movie. But it's not the original. Because I think my favorite Friday the 13th movie. While I do respect the first one. And I will always love the third one. For being the 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 one that gives Jason this iconic look. <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, I'm going to go with part four. The final chapter. For some reason this one just... Speaks to me more. Um, Maybe it's the fact that you have. You know Crispin Glover. In all of his. Like quirky glory. Playing this guy that was recently broken up with. And he's. Just a a neurotic mess. Um, And you have Corey Feldman. Very young Corey Feldman. Playing Tommy Jarvis. Who goes on to be a very iconic character. In the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, and it's still a shame they didn't keep that character going after six. Cause I mean, Tommy Jarvis is front and center for four five and six. And then they just kind of, you know, they went away from him for seven for some reason. They never went back to it. I'd love to see somebody really take the Tommy Jarvis character and continue like, you know, his battle with Jason, so to speak. Um, so yeah, final chapter, to me, it's like, you know, you you already have the iconic look of the, you know, the, the hockey mask. Um, and then you, but like I said, the character, I think it's the characters also feel a little more flushed out. You don't just seem like you have generic characters that are just designed to be killed by Jason. You actually do feel like, I do feel like you get some development out of these characters to the point that you almost care when some of them die. I won't say all of them because there's a cup. there's quite a few characters that are really are probably pretty just generic characters, but you get some that are to me like actually built up to the point that you care when one of them dies. Um, on top of just like some of the stuff they pull in for is like, there's some brutal, like the quote unquote death of Jason um is brutal to watch. And they don't like hesitate to keep the camera on some of it. Like when he gets the machete put through the side of his face and like, so it's like through the side of his face and into his eye as one of his eyes essentially, and he falls down and, lands on the the hilt of the machete and like slowly slides on it they don't hesitate to show you every excruciating second of that slide down the blade and it's kind of unnerving but it's awesome at the same time um and this was one of the earlier friday the 13th i saw too because i remember i had one buddy who had four and five on a vhs tape and I knew somebody who had one and two on a VHS tape for a long time. I kn- I didn't see three, although I knew that's where he got the hockey mask, but four, for some reason was always like, I think five, like I liked the, the idea of five, but it always hurt it to me that it's not actually Jason. You know, you, you get to the end of it and spoilers. It's some paramedic who saw his son murdered at the beginning of the movie and snapped. So he took on the Jason, likeness to try to, you know, scare this, uh, community of like troubled kids, essentially that Tommy is part of. Um, and I think that really kind of hurt it, but like, no four four is to me is probably like the peak. And you know, they originally called it the final chapter because it was supposed to be the last Friday, the 13th movie. Anybody who knows anything about Friday, the 13th though, though knows that that wasn't the end of the series. They went on for what? Seven more whatever it is what you got eight is Manhattan nine is uh Jason goes to hell Jason X and then you had the 11th one was the remake that was really bad to me because it's for some reason all of a sudden Jason is a pot farmer yeah it's I don't know like yeah it's it it was but it was I think like one through four are probably the most solid this series was. I have fun with every every one of them though. Like I have a box set of one through eight. I really wish it had nine and ten in it because I think Jason X is a great, like, almost like spoof of itself. That I, I kinda liked that one, even though it's a bad movie on on the whole. But yeah, um, think i only have one more let me look at my list can you tell i'm vamping um ah okay now this one i suggest because i really like it but i will put a i'll put another one out there that goes along with this one when i get done um and that is wreck from 2007 okay here we go i get to just completely massacre some names because this is a um a Spanish film like from, I think it's from, I think it was from Spain. Um, call. Yeah. It's called Rec, Like, you know, record. Um, Oh God. Directed by. Yeah. I'm not even going to say their names. Like look it up. If you know how to pronounce it. Good for you. I, I don't pretend to know how to pronounce some of these names. Um, but yeah, it's pretty easy. setup. this is the other, uh, found footage I have on there on here. Um, it is about a news reporter who is like, she does like a, like kind of like a, 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 column. So or like she does like a regular segment of the news where she does thing like, you know, she goes and interviews people whose jobs like are all through the night. So it's like, I think it was called, I think it's called while you were sleeping or something like that, or while you were asleep or something like that. But in this, you know, in this movie, she's gonna be like she goes and she's interviewing a bunch of firefighters because she's doing an investigation to like the nighttime of like firefighters. Um, so like it begins with her, you know, like interviewing them around the firehouse and seeing, you know, like oh yeah, they have their big banquet hall where they all get together and eat. You know, they're all playing basketball she gets to you know slide down the pole and see the the fire pole she gets to try on some of their gear and they you know they're just having a regular night and she you know she makes a moment a comment at one point like she kind of hopes they do get a call cuz that would be really fun to like go out on the call with them to get to show like what it's like um i don't think they ever should say like what roughly what time of night it is when Suddenly the alarm goes off and everybody starts running. So she goes to get in the the truck and goes with them to this call for, there was like a lady locked in her apartment and she was screaming and like the neighbors of this apartment building, uh, like reported it. So they go in and the cops are already there to like, find out if this lady's okay and get paramedics if they need to, or, you know, the, the firefighters can do like limited paramedic work. Um, but when they get there, they go to this, this old lady's apartment, and she's there's something off about her, and then suddenly she attacks one of the police, like, zombie-style, like, fast zombie, but zombie-style attacks this police officer, and when they get back downstairs with, like, this injured police officer, they find that they are locked inside the building, like, there's somebody outside and they've like locked it off. So like nobody can leave this building now. Um, So the movie plays out as them like locked inside this apartment building with obviously some kind of zombies or vampires or whatever inside this building. And whoever's out there knows something's going on because they've basically quarantined the building. And it's, yeah. So the whole movie is just them kind of, trying to figure out what's going on like why they're not allowed out because like even all communication is being jammed so they can't find out what's going on outside the building that kind of stuff and it is really really well built with tension um the the found footage feels authentic it doesn't feel like it's a forced found footage movie because yeah you're you're looking at the tapes of this you know this reporter even though it would be weird that like if they were going that far as to quarantine a building, why would they allow film to come out of it kind of thing? But anyways, so you do have to suspend your disbelief a little bit there. But yeah, there's a great movie. But there is the caveat of it is completely in Spanish. So it is hard if you're not into reading subtitles or good at interpreting what's going on without having to read every subtitle. It's not for you. But it oh man, this movie is great. And I, I won't even get into what what is really going on in this building because there is a point where they finally find out like what was happening, like what it was that was happening. Um yeah, but however, if you do want to see a take on this movie, which I actually like this movie, keep in mind, but it's not as good as the original. But they did do an Americanized remake that was just called quarantine with um Jennifer Carpenter, I believe, is what her name is. Uh, she played the sister on Dexter. Um, and then you also have... Uh, Billy Crudup, I believe, is in a small role in there. As well as... I cannot remember the... Jay something or other. He he was in... um He was in the first Hostel as the main character. Not that I suggest going to watch that movie at all. Um, but yeah, no, it's... it's it was good and it like it does for the most part do the story pretty much beat for beat with small changes here and there um i want to say the the truth that's discovered in the building towards the end of the movie is a little more like a little more concrete or they changed it somehow i can't remember exactly what they they changed something about like the base of what was in this building kind of thing, but it still works. And it still also has probably one of the best ending, uh, sequences in, in a, uh, found footage movie. Um, I put it right up there with the Blair, like the last moments of the Blair witch, um, or the original Blair witch project, I should say, because I remember seeing that one in theaters and jumping out of my skin at the end of that movie. Um, but with wreck, I saw quarantine. Keep in mind, I saw quarantine first because I had no idea it was based on something. I just saw a trailer for it. Cause I want to say it was uh, my then wife had sent me, like sent me a link to the trailer for it, and she was going out of town. I'm like, oh, that movie's out. I'm gonna go watch that. Um, cause she wasn't big on horror movies. Um, but yeah, so we, so I went and saw it and I loved it, but then it was like, I think it was like a year or so later I started hearing like, oh, that was a, an American remake of this Spanish film. And I'm like, well, shit, I got to find a way to watch this movie and I won't get into how I ended up finding it, but I ended up getting it and watching it. And the second one, which is probably one of the few. Uh, found footage sequels I really liked. Um, which you know, like when you watch two, you kind of find out it plays kind of concurrently to the first one because it plays with like there's like these kids that are on like kind of like just raising hell that night and they see something going on at this building and they find a back door in so they end up in the building. Um but, so, like, it starts out at the same time as the first one's running, but by the end of the movie, you're much later in the timeline, so to speak. Like, the end of, um, the end of Wreck 1 is kind of, like, probably, like, the midpoint of Wreck 2. And, it, it's worth watching, but once again, you have to, you have to be okay with subtitles. Um, so, yeah, let's see if I've got any, uh, good honorable mentions on here, because... Oh um yeah I, I I put this one on here it's another one I recently uh recently found that I really liked um thanks to a podcast I listened to called Evolution of Horror <clears throat> which is um it's a a podcast where this guy uh Mike Munzer re- who really loves horror movies but he breaks down the evolution of horror, but he breaks it down like based on genre. So like his first season was about slashers. And so he starts at the beginning of the slasher movement with like Black Christmas and Peeping Tom and Psycho. And then he moves up to more current day stuff and he breaks it down movie by movie. Well, usually two movies at a time per episode. And he has guest hosts and it's this really great format, but he's on his home invasion, uh, season. And I was taking a drive like two hours away to another city. Cause I wanted to look at something and listen to an episode. And he was talking about the strangers and I had seen the strangers. It's, it was an okay movie. I bought it because it was harder than hell to find on like streaming or whatever. And I, it was okay. I liked it, but I'm not really big into the just, you know, Kind of torture for torture's sake. Like I don't it, Like I need to go back and rewatch it. Cause I just I felt like it was it was good, but it wasn't necessarily for me. It was just very it, it felt like an endurance trial. Like similar to watching hostile, but not as bad. At least this one had somewhat of characters I cared about. But they also talked about the sequel, The Strangers Pray at Night. Um and I remember seeing trailers for it and being like, yeah, I don't need a sequel to The Strangers. That's fine. Plus, the trailer made it look pretty bad. Other than the use of, I think we're alone now in the trailer, where they warp the vocals at one point. And it's kind of creepy. Um, And so, yeah, I, I heard their talk about this one, and it sounded really fun. It doesn't sound like it's, a, it's not the same movie as the original Strangers, and I kind of liked that. So I... I tracked it down on a streaming service and watched it. This movie is fun. Um, instead of it being just like two people that are in a cabin out, you know, out in the middle of nowhere who are suddenly being terrorized by these three people in masks, this one is about a family. They're traveling to take the daughter. Has obviously gotten in some kind of some kind of legal trouble. Um, so they're about to put her into like a boarding school or whatever. So they're on this road trip to take her there. And they stop at, like, an RV park run by the mother's, like, uncle or something like that. Um, one of the nights. And while they're there, the strangers are there. Um, I don't have a better name for them. I think, that, you know, just calling them the strangers is the best way to go. But the, the three the three individuals, like, basically target them at this place. And there's nobody else in this uh in this rv park so this one has a broader scale but this one also has a little more silliness to it that it, it makes it way more fun um but yeah and it it also doesn't hurt that they have two moments that use 80s songs in a very nefarious matter that or nefarious manner that I would have never guessed was possible because there's a scene where the sun is running away from them, and he gets to like the you know I don't I want to call it a pro shop but that's not right like the you know like like kind of like a little souvenir shop that's like at the center of this this uh, RV park, and he goes to call the cops. The phone gets cut, and suddenly he realizes they're in the building with him. So he like slowly sneaks out. And he ends up in the pool area of this place. And suddenly all the lights come on. So it's like violently neon lights are on. And Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart is playing. And then the scene that that follows is just amazing. Like, I I will never think of the song uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart the same. This even does more for it to me than uh, old school did for it. With the guy that's singing at the the bot mitzvah and he's throwing the F word into the lyrics. Um, and then the end, like the, like the last set piece involves the song. Um, Oh God, I had it in my head and it just ran away from me. Oh, it's an air supply song. God damn it. Uh, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head now but it's this air supply song that's like completely just sappy love song but then this this kind of perverts it and it's awesome um down to the point like at the like as it's wrapping up like the music does start to warp as if like to me it sounds like uh like if you were listening to a cassette tape you know a cassette walkman and the battery started running out, and the tape, so the tape like starts playing slowly and kind of like warping. They kind of do that with the end of the song, and it really works for the sequence. Um, so yeah, that's the strangers pray at night. Um, well, yeah, I guess that's gonna kind of do it. Um, yeah, next episode, big number five zero. We'll, you know, uh, I've got plans. Won't spoil them, but. To me, it's something special. It's something I've been wanting to do since I started this. So hopefully I pull it off. Um, Yeah, as usual, if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. Yeah, with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who supports me on this. And I'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye.